Uh, my name's Jen. I've been at Hope for like over 20 years. Uh, I work with the women's ministry here. I'm on the women's shepherding team and um, have two grown children who are in college right now. So we live right down the street. They went to Old Providence Elementary, Carmel Middle, Myers Park, and now they're both in Tennessee for some reason in college. So they picked that state. Um, yeah, if you're new, if you haven't, if you're just jumping in this semester, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, we are, like I said before, in the middle of Jesus's most famous sermon uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, and I'm just going to, I guess, bring us all up to speed on where we are uh, in the sermon. And then we have a passage that we're going to cover um, at the end of our time. So in, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is where we have been. And actually, I do want to say, this is pretty cool. If you want to catch up, uh, we're in the middle. We've done like a chapter and a half. If you want to catch up, you can visit the Hope website. There's all of the all of the teaching times have been recorded, so you can catch up that way. And also, there's um, a podcast called The Bible Project, and they're actually in the Sermon on the Mount right now, and they're using the same commentary that we are. So it's really cool. Uh, if you want to look that up and you can catch up as well. So, but in the sermon, Jesus is describing to us a life of flourishing in the new kingdom of God. But it's not like any kingdom that you and I would naturally be drawn to. It's not a kingdom based on wealth or power or position. It's often called the upside down kingdom. So, so far, Jesus has invited us into a life of flourishing through describing the Beatitudes, which are the first kind of seven or eight statements in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's invited us to a life of flourishing, but it's a life of flourishing that's an invitation to come to the end of ourselves. A life of flourishing that includes mourning over our sin. A life of flourishing that includes inviting us to a life of humility. So it's kind of this wild combination that he's inviting us to. And we've been talking about each one of those, uh, each seven weeks of last semester. So I invite you guys to uh, catch up with that whenever you want to. Um, and after all this deep inward work that he's invited us to, he's asked us to move outward and into the lives of others. And it's important to know that the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of a mirror of Moses being handed the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And Moses, as you remember, was leading the children of God out of slavery and into a life of freedom. And that's the heart of God for us uh, through this whole sermon. Uh, the heart of God has always been to free his people, you and me, from a life of slavery toward freedom. And this happens through penance, through changing, through not depending on my own uh, ideas of how life should go, but on a dependence upon Jesus and the life that he invites us to. So we're in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Jesus is just starting his public ministry. So it's important also to know his first words in his public ministry came in Matthew 4, which is right before the Sermon on the Mount. And his first words were, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come here. <laughs> And the great news about that is Jesus is saying, I am the kingdom of heaven and I have come near. So repent, I'm here, I'm with you now. So this should change the way that we live. And in our passage today, Jesus invites us to a life into a kingdom where we can trust our heavenly father enough to begin to experience freedom from anxiety. That's why we're talking about birds and flowers today. 
Um, we're in the passage in the Sermon on the Mount that talks about anxiety and Jesus inviting us, don't worry. I think we can all relate to this topic, so much so that we'll spend the next two weeks on it. Um, and so much so that I just found out yesterday we're doing a new sermon series on generosity uh, on Sunday mornings at Hope, and they're using this passage on Sunday. So I think that God really is inviting us to take a look at our anxious hearts and what it looks like to trust him. So I'm going to repeat the sentence I just read in view of anxiety and repentance. The heart of God has always been to free his people, you and me, from slavery, from the slavery of anxiety, and move us toward the freedom of trusting in his care for me. So what I want to do is prepare our hearts to hear from God's word this morning. Uh, one of the facets that we do in women's Bible study now is give you guys an opportunity to sit in the passage, uh, to center yourselves, to, to take a breath, and to interact in the passage before I give you all my words that I've been thinking about for months. So um, this is called a slow reading of scripture. Um, some people call it Lectio Divina. What I'm going to do is invite us to a time of silence so that you can breathe. You know, we're coming, <laughs> speaking of anxiety, you know, we're coming from craziness this morning, probably. Um, I want to give you guys an opportunity to put that away, whatever you came from last night or this morning, and invite you guys to be present uh, in the moment, to take a, a, a breath, to become aware that the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is with us today. So I'm going to have a little bit of time of silence. It's super awkward, especially for the people in the podcast, but we're just going to sit here for a little while and try to, try to center yourselves. Try to, try to put your feet on the floor. Remind yourself that the Spirit of the living God is closer than your breath. And then I'll bring us together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for that living hope that you give us uh, through your spirit. I pray that today, yeah, yeah, that we would find hope uh, for this topic that really grips all of us, uh, worrying about our future, worrying about our loved ones, worrying about literally everything. Um, so I pray that your spirit uh, would minister to us uh, this morning. Uh, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So what I'm going to do is read this passage three times 
and ask you guys to interact with it on your own. So hopefully you have something to write with. If not, you can just work it out in your brain. Um, but I'm going to read the passage three times. The first time I'm going to read it, I'd like for you to just pay attention to what word or phrase stands out to you from this passage and write it down. And then I'll read it two more times. So we're in Matthew 6, 25 through 30. What word or phrase jumps out at you? That seems louder than the rest. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So maybe write down a word or a phrase that seemed louder than the rest. Okay, this time I'm going to read it. Um, again, I'd love for you guys to engage your five senses. Uh, it's really easy to engage with scripture with our head and just facts and words and, and be disengaged with our heart. So it's a great practice for me uh, to use the, my God-given imagination and my senses to think about uh, what's going on in this passage. So sit with the images. What do you notice about the birds? What do they sound like? What do the flowers smell like or look like? What is going on? What are they doing? So I'm going to read it, and you guys engage your senses and just kind of write down what comes to you. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith?
Okay, I'm gonna read it one last time. Uh, and this time, I'd like y'all to notice that Jesus asks five questions in this short passage. It's five verses. Which of his questions seems more personal to you in your life today? And just muddle on that for a moment. Like, why do you think that, why do you think that is? So pay attention to the questions this time. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Which of these questions might God be inviting you to think about more today? Okay, thanks for participating in that with, with me. I think it's helpful uh, to just let all of you guys interact with the passage uh, and not just hear from who's up here because, I mean, this is a room of 120 women. There's 120 stories here, and God has different things to say to each one of us, which is one great thing about God. He's so personal like that. So, yeah, anxiety. Let's talk about that. For a little bit. First of all, God, isn't it wonderful that Jesus wants us to be free from anxiety? I mean, soak that in. This is his most famous sermon. It's right in the middle. He's calling us to more. Um, I mentioned that this was, uh, we're just doing five verses. And the word more is in here four times. Aren't you worth more? Won't I do much more for you? There's more to life. I'm your father and I know what you need. So Jesus does not want you and I to be anxious. He wants more for us. I hope you guys can believe that. But so often we are anxious. All right. So this is an anxiety producing room. You probably walked in here this morning and were like, oh my gosh, there's too many people here. 
Is there a space for me? Where do I belong? Am I the only one who feels like I don't know anybody in this room? So this is, we're kind of practicing. We, we all experience anxiety. Um, I did, a, I mean, not a huge deep dive, but uh, I looked at a couple statistics. Uh, this is from the FDA, Food and Drug Administration. Anxiety affects up to um, 40 million Americans, adults each year. And women are more than twice as likely as men to develop an anxiety disorder in their lifetime. I don't know if this surprises you. Twice as likely as women. Like that borderline made me angry. I'm like, what's going on with that? Why do we have to deal with this twice as much as men? And don't hear me say men don't struggle with anxiety because they do. But what's the deal with women? I think we all, you know, we know we have different levels of hormones going on at different periods in our lives, in different times and days. I think that's probably one of the reasons. Uh, but I did look at a research. I did look at a... Um, at some research, I just looked at the results in one, one of these um, studies about why women experience anxiety twice as much as men. And basically it said, uh, when men experience anxiety, they distract themselves. And then it basically said, when men, women experience anxiety, they truly believe that worrying is useful. <laughs> and if I'm experiencing anxiety, I need to Therefore, go down this trail of worst case scenario. What am I going to do if this happens? What am I going to do if this happens? What am I going to do when this happens? I'm sure this is going to happen. And it's somehow a useful way of eliminating anxiety in our minds. And that's what women do. Maybe some of you can relate. <laughs> but it's sad. Okay, so what is anxiety and is it sinful? So we're going to talk about anxiety a little bit. Uh, and then I'm going to talk about the birds and the lilies, and then offer us a picture, an invitation from Jesus this morning. That's what we're doing. What is anxiety, and is it sinful? Uh, a definition of anxiety, it's an emotional response to a real or perceived future threat. So anxiety is about, the, oh, I'm afraid of the future. It's a sense of dread. Um, it would be walking through your life with a soundtrack of ominous music. So some of you can pick Jaws. I don't know what else, you know, whatever ominous soundtrack goes on, you're walking through your day and you know, or maybe it's like a heartbeat going faster and faster. Um, it's a concern today about something that may happen tomorrow. It's a desire to control the uncontrollable, to know the unknowable, and to manage the unmanageable. Um, I got this from an article in the Gospel Coalition on anxiety. Um, is it sinful? Is anxiety sinful? Well, yes and no. Let's briefly talk about four different views of anxiety. The first one, there's a difference between fear and anxiety. Fear is an emotional response to a real, a, a real threat, immediate threat. Anxiety is all about the future, like I said before. So if you're driving over here on your way to Wings Bible Study, had a slam on your brakes, and then your heart rate went up and you got sweaty, um, that's being human. That's an emotional response to an immediate threat. That's not sinful. Fear is a warning system for danger right now. Anxiety is a warning system 
of impending danger. So that's the first one. There's a difference between fear and anxiety. Not sinful, it's just being human. Some of you, the second one, some of you have been diagnosed um, or go undiagnosed with debilitating clinical anxiety. That's an anxiety disorder that affects your daily life. Symptoms like persistent anxious thoughts about the future um, on most days of the week for six months or longer, uh, trouble sleeping, panic attacks. Some of you guys deal with that. Um, and in cases like this, we need to seek the help of a therapist or a physician or get medication. This anxiety is not sinful. You need help. It needs the compassionate care of loved ones, physicians, and therapists. Third type of anxiety can be the result of sinful behavior. So if you're, you know, lying at work or stealing from your work, or if you're cheating on your spouse or your husband, you're probably going to experience anxiety about being found out. So that's a result of sinful behavior. Um, the fourth kind of anxiety is our sinful, yes, sinful response to God's providential care for us. This is an anxiety that is caused by our lack of trust in God. So ask yourself, do I believe the passage we just read? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. He's going to take care of you. Do I trust God to take care of my provision, my future? Do I believe my father in heaven cares for me? Do I believe that he cares for me enough to stop planning and ruminating on worst case scenarios? Am I striving to control the uncontrollable, to know the unknowable, to manage the unmanageable. So most of what we talk about today is gonna to be in that realm of anxiety, our sinful responses, and Jesus inviting us to repent and inviting us to believe in his providential care for us. So our passage, in our passage today, Jesus is saying, don't worry, don't be anxious. I've got you. Jesus is offering us an invitation to trust and to contentment. And he's inviting us to repent and depend on him. And I know this isn't easy. So let's get into the passage. Uh, we're going to talk about worrying about our bodies. We're going to talk about what the birds have to say about anxiety and what flowers have to say about anxiety. So let's look together at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So this, this verse here starts with the word therefore. So we look backwards a little bit. That's a good habit in reading scripture. What is Jesus trying to connect together right here? Um, the preceding verse is verse 21, where he starts talking about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and what money can provide. So our heart's treasure, Jesus is saying, is connected. Whatever our heart treasures, it's connected to a source of our anxiety. Our need to acquire and protect our heart's treasure is surely connected to what causes us anxiety. So what's your heart's treasure? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's what Jesus has just said. What is your heart's treasure? And is it up to you to protect that treasure? 
Is it your children? Is it having children? Financial security? The perfect family or friend group? Avoiding loneliness? These are not bad desires. These are good desires. But when we live like it's up to us to secure and protect and procure these treasures, we're going to experience anxiety. Our shoulders are just not wide enough. We're not big enough to protect these things. It's anxiety producing. And when do I feel the most anxious? I feel the most anxious when one of my heart's treasures is threatened. Like when my kid's not doing well and I can't do anything about it. Or when my body is not acting the way I want it to. Or when I'm waiting for like a diagnosis that I have no control over at all. You guys know, you guys know. And it's the things that we truly, truly care about that we think is gonna undo us if I cannot manage it and control it and get the outcome that I need. So our heart's treasure is connected to our anxiety. And many of you guys, I think, you know, our kids really, really, really press on this because we'll have children and then you're like, oh my gosh, I love this thing more than I ever thought I would. What's going to happen? It needs to be perfect. And they're actually, you know, feeding me. Like I'm, I'm getting life from them and I love them so much. And a lot of you guys have realized that you really worry about your kids a lot and that's a natural thing for sure. And I worry about mine a lot, but we're, some of you guys I think are reading uh, the worry-free parent, parent, and I hope that's helpful for you guys. Um, yeah, I think that the goal is like, can you reduce your anxiety about your kids like by 20%? And, and, and that's something to shoot for. So um, yeah, our, our efforts to safeguard and preserve the, our heart's treasures are surely connected to our anxiety. Uh, do we trust Jesus uh, with these things that we cannot control? Um, so first, what I want to look at is verse 25, worrying about our bodies. So Jesus says, don't worry about your body. Maybe the condition and appearance of your body is one of your heart's treasures. Our bodies are going to break down. Our bodies are going to age. And what are we going to do with that? Is it going to be anxiety producing? So there's, you guys live in South Charlotte with me. There's a water that we swim in that tells us I don't, it's not okay to age. And, that, and that's, it's, it's a lie. There's a water that we swim in that informs all of our decisions. And I want to press on that a little bit this morning. So I'm going to take about five minutes to address this anti-aging culture that we live in. Um, the immense pressure that it puts on ourselves, the immense pressure that it puts on our daughters, and the immense pressure that it puts on our friends even in this room. Don't worry about your body. So anti-aging and beauty culture, just for five minutes, and then we'll move on to the birds. <laughs> and of course, I'm going to start with talking about going to the dentist. So I, I do not like the dentist. I do not trust the dentist. I never have. And I hate going. And it's not like I've got a mouthful of cavities. It's just like I hate going because their go-to, I feel like any dentist that I go to, they're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get her to come back. I'm going to shame her. And it's going to work. Because you guys know, you go there and they're like, oh, well, you haven't been flossing. I can tell that you're brushing too much. And I've been told I brush too much, too aggressively, not enough. I just don't trust them. And then every time I turn around, they want to give me a crown. And I'm like, also my kid, because my kid's like, 
18 and they're like, well, he needs a crown. I'm like, that's an old man's problem. So I don't trust the dentist. A friend of mine helped me find a dentist that I did trust all of a sudden. It was a miracle of God. But it was like, all, it was all women that worked there. I have issues. So I trust women more than men. Um, all women worked there. They didn't tell me I needed crowns. They didn't do the shame game. So I was like thrilled. All of a sudden I have a dentist that I'm not scared to go to until. <laughs> so it was like my third time. I'm proud of myself. I walked to the office. I've scheduled it myself. And outside the door, I walk into the dentist. And what does the sandwich board say right outside the door to the dentist? Ask us about our Botox injections. And I was like, no, I love this dentist. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, like, why is this, why is this connected together? And why, and, and am I going to get in this chair where I'm all of a sudden shame-free and enjoying going to the dentist? And they're going to be like, oh, God, looks like, <laughs> looks like you not only need a cavity filled, you need some other things filled. So... I, I mean, it just really, really struck me that all of a sudden, the dentist wants me to get Botox injections while I'm there. And that should tell me everything. That tells us everything we need to know about our anti-aging culture in Charlotte. It's about money. So I read a quote from an article called The Hot Girl Hamster Wheel. Well, we have to stay, this is what we have to do to stay beautiful on this hamster wheel. It said the average American woman spends $3,800 a year on her beauty and personal care regimen, about $300 to year and 20 a month. I'm wondering if that sounds accurate to you guys. And I'm wondering if it sounds low. It's hard to dispute that exploiting our insecurity, our anxieties about our bodies is an incredibly profitable business model for today's culture. Don't worry about your body. The invitation from Jesus. Now hear me say, and I want all of you guys to hear this before anybody gets uncomfortable. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that using a scientific development, medicinal development, like cosmetic surgery, Botox injections, um, fillers. It's, it's not sinful. It just isn't there in the Bible. And people land in different areas in all these ways. And rightly so. I am asking us this morning, as Jesus is inviting us to not have anxiety about our bodies and how they look, <clears throat> to just be prayerful and thoughtful and use wisdom in these decisions that we're making about our bodies. Um, address what scripture does say about beauty. Um, ask yourself some questions. Ask your friends some questions. Prayerfully um, talk about it. Prayerfully talk about it with Jesus. And then we realize it's called a wisdom issue. And then we rely on our freedom of conscience from the Holy Spirit, the freedom of Christ that we have. And land on it and be free. So I'm not landing either way on this whole beauty, what we're going to do with our wrinkles. That's what I want you to hear me say. Now, I am going to press into a couple of questions that I want us to ask just as a church, 
Because if we don't, like if we don't think about this together, we're going to just float along with the culture and for what our Instagram feed says to do. And all of a sudden we're being discipled, not by Jesus, we're being discipled by our culture. So a podcast that's really helped me, and I've spread this around hope as much as I could, is a podcast called From Risen Motherhood, and the episode is called Does God Care If I Get Rid of My Wrinkles? And it's super helpful in thinking through this. Um, they ask like five really good questions that you're supposed, you know, they encourage us to, you know, prayerfully ask these questions of ourselves. And I'm going to just throw these out at you guys. Good questions. Risen Motherhood podcast. Does God care if I get rid of my wrinkles? Um, one question. What is my why for attempting to preserve my physical beauty? Why am I doing this? You have to ask yourself. Am I doing it because all my friends are doing it? Am I doing it because I'm afraid I'll be irrelevant if I look old? Those are good questions to ask. Does beauty equal love? Does beauty equal power to you? Another great question. How do our choices, how do my choices and my actions regarding aging show what kind of beauty I value? What are your daughters seeing what kind of beauty you value? What are your friends seeing? Your sons? How transparent am I willing to be about this? So what kind of beauty do we value? Uh, scripture helps us with this. He talks, um, scripture talks about internal beauty, eternal beauty versus external beauty. A lot, in a lot of places. In 1 Peter 3, Peter is helping the church understand what it would look like to adorn the gospel in our lives instead of adorning our bodies. That word adorn means to make something more beautiful. The gospel makes us more beautiful. Peter talks of an unfading beauty of our inner self. And it's wild. Like this um, podcast, this Risen Motherhood podcast, one of the quotes in it says, American culture is obsessed with removing our humanity. We all want to look eternal. We all want to look like we're going to last forever. If any of you guys watch the Grammy Awards, you know this is true. I'm like, how can that person still look 40? What is going on? Also, a little off. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we're, I mean... Am, am I scared of my humanity? Am I scared? Am I fearful of getting old? Why? Why? All right. Refuse my five minutes. Psalm 35, thir Psalm 34, 5. Those that look upon Jesus are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. So I want to you know, ask you guys to just consider those few questions when you think about what am I going to do? When I get old, we're all going to, we all are, I am. Um, and I would hate for our culture at Hope or with our friends to be like, oh boy, I just turned 30. I need to figure out my Botox regimen. You know, that's just like, stop and think and pray, please. And then if you want to do it, that's great. But I just want to please ask you guys to pray. Okay, don't worry about your bodies. And what's our heart's treasure? Secondly, um, our bodies are going to break down. I'm dealing with this right now. Like, I'm at an age where I'm like, 
I've got this, I'm on this menopause train that's like insane. And I'm dealing with it right now and I get mad that women have to deal with their changing bodies nonstop. It's like freaking nonstop. <sighs> How am I going to deal with my limitations? Our bodies betray us. Our bodies hold stress or trauma in ways that we can't control or manage. <clears throat> our bodies are not carrying our pregnancies the way that we want. Our bodies don't cooperate with getting pregnant. Our bodies break down. They are susceptible to disease. We cannot manage the unmanageable. What does God's word say about this? 2 Corinthians 4.16, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Do you believe that? 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at our heart. That is great news. There's more to life. There's more going on. Jesus is inviting us to more in this passage. All right, shifting to the birds. Verse 26, what do birds have to teach us about anxiety? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to her span of life? We'll do that. Um, I've been married for 30 years. <laughs> I'm going to try this one on. I've been married for 30 years, but I've been married to several different men. And now I find myself married to a bird watcher. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so when I was like 20 and Matt and I are dating, I've been like, imagine myself. Mm, that's so attractive. <laughs> like we're sitting outside and um, we're sitting outside the other day. We used to have a trampoline because we raised kids and blah, 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 and they played in this trampoline. The trampoline's gone, and now where the trampoline was, the huge circle, I kid you not, there's like 15 bird feeders out there. <laughs> bird houses. And, and like Matt and I are sitting out there one time, he's got his, he's got his binoculars, <laughs> and he's got a BB gun, because now squirrels are the mortal enemy of all bird people. You might know this. But I'm like, oh. This is what we're doing. <laughs> Look at you. I do love him so much. But the bird watching, he's like, you know, this is a very holy endeavor, Jen. It's in scripture. And I'm like, he's not wrong. Look at the birds. Look what they're doing. And what do the birds have to say to us about anxiety? I've tried it. I've been home several days this last week. I've been looking at birds. And I, honestly, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but the birds have taught me, I mean, they're not, they're not gathering into barns. They're not trying to find their food. Matt, which is, I guess, their God right now, is just like <laughs> feeding them. And I have not seen a starving bird fall to the ground ever. So these birds are getting taken care of. They're okay. I think the birds can teach us about anxiety to freaking stay in the present. Like, don't worry are spending their time like storing up things for later or gosh, I've got to really plant some stuff or I'm going to die. One of the keys to um, 
I, and maybe you guys have heard this from your counselors, you know, anxiety pulls us right out of the present. Um, there's a song that's been rumbling in my head that somebody sent me about birds and flowers by Jess Ray. Uh, she says, don't waste today being scared for tomorrow. Pay attention. Look at how Jesus cares for the birds. Are you not worth more? God providing sustenance for our daily life. He's just, Jesus has just in the sermon talked about the Lord's prayer. Give us today our daily bread. And that's what we need. Don't worry about your sustenance. Don't worry about where your life's coming from. I don't think we need to worry about food. But where are you getting your daily sustenance from Jesus? Is it daily? And I'll tell you what he wants to tell you when you're with him daily is that he will whisper to you, he will whisper to me, you are worth so much more than these birds. I will take care of you. That's what he'll say to us daily. And that's what we need to hear. Jesus is inviting us to more. Give us today our daily bread. My Father in heaven knows just what I need. That's Matthew 6, 8. It's right there. Okay, the flowers. What do they have to teach us about anxiety? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God delights to adorn his creation. That includes you. Jesus starts asking us, and talking about worrying about our clothes. How, I mean, even clothes, like when you think about clothes, what are we worried about? What we're perceived as? What are my clothes saying about me? My reputation. We get approval for how we look. Jesus is like, God, you don't need to carry that. I will clothe you. Might any of you ever felt anxiety about your wardrobe? <laughs> Oh my gosh, girls. <laughs> middle school. Let's just start there. I live next to this little middle school kid that watches my cat. And she, I asked her what her Christmas list was. And she goes, I mean, she was like instant. Lululemon, Stanley, Hoka shoes, Ugg slippers, drunk elephant moisturizer, iPhone 15 plus Kendra Scott bracelet, silk PJs. <laughs> sweating but I bet a lot of you probably bought that same stuff for your middle schooler anyway it's just I mean speak about our culture as being women we're told what to wear right and we're told to worry about it if we don't fit in uh, might you ever have felt anxiety about your work wardrobe do I look adult enough do I look powerful enough professional enough Ah, might you ever have felt anxiety about your wardrobe at church? God, I want us to be free of that. All right now, what am I going to wear to Bible study? It's okay. <laughs> We're on a girl's trip. Um, yeah, so the toiling and the spinning in this passage, isn't that a picture of anxiety? 
Consider the lilies. They know they're beautiful. They don't toil and spin. They've been clothed by their heavenly father. Verse 30, will he not much more clothe you? What a promise. God delights to adorn his creation. Listen to Isaiah 61, and I'm going to end. Um, Isaiah 61:10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with much jewels. He wants much more for us. So what does all this have to do with anxiety? I think Jesus is wanting to give us a picture of what it might look like to free us from all of these worries that we carry around all the time. Um, Proverbs 31, not my favorite woman, but we'll just leave that. Proverbs 31 talks about a woman who is clothed in strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. How can she laugh at the future? Can you laugh at the future? So picture this. Use your holy imagination. Picture a woman that could be you who's wrapped in the promises of Jesus. The care of Christ. The eternal protection of Jesus. Eternal. She's clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The weighted blanket of God himself. I can't tell you guys not to worry. I mean, that's insane. Like, that's not a, it's not a solution. Just don't worry. I can tell you and encourage you to turn your kingdom upside down. The earthly kingdom that you may be toiling and spinning to hold together yourself. Place yourself under his care, under God's kingship. For me, repentance means to relinquish my throne, my kingdom, and to yield to what, what the life that he's given me. To acknowledge that I cannot manage the unmanageable, to trust the story he's given me. It means giving up my need for power and control and opening my hands to the only one who, can act, who actually has the power to protect my eternal future. I can't do it. He also has the power to redeem my broken past. So I'm asking you guys, what, is, what, what would yielding look like? It, it, like, ask him what it would look like to yield and open your hands and be like, okay, I'm going to try to trust you. And I'll end with this, this verse from 1 Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Under God's mighty hand. That's what yielding looks like. That he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I just feel the heart of God telling us with this passage and this whole thing. Like, you be small, I'll be big. You be the child, you be the daughter, I'll be the dad. And in fact, I'm more than a dad, I'm a king. I can handle you and your story and your life and these treasures that you have. Open your hands. Jesus did this exact same thing for you. He humbled himself. 
He gave up power and control on the cross so that you could rest under his mighty power. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, God, would you help us to believe this? Um, We do want to be free from wanting to manage everything. Uh, We want to believe, I want to believe that your mighty power and your mighty hand is just wrapped around me. And I pray this for our friends, uh, that you would help us to believe what you say uh, in this passage, that we're worth so much more and that you love us so much more than we think. Um, So help our unbelief and be with us as we talk about this a little bit. In your name I pray, amen.